Running a successful creative business is not easy, but here at the Ray Whitney Podcast, I want to help you become more intentional and knowledgeable about the growth and success of your business. I'm your host, Ray Whitney, a full-time creative entrepreneur with a passion for helping others achieve their dreams. So sit back, relax, and let's dive into today's episode. All right, guys, welcome back to the Ray Whitney podcast. I'm super excited to have you here. And this episode is a super, super special one um, because I get to interview my father, Dr. George Reed, the amazing, incomparable Dr. Reed um, in honor of Black History Month. So I'm going to let him introduce himself and tell us a little bit about who he is and his work. So, Daddy, go ahead. Tell the people who you are. Well, Ray, I'm so proud to to join you in this uh, podcast. As you know, I was born in North Carolina in a small town of about 2,500, most of whom were Black. And uh, I then went to college at North Carolina, a college which is now North Carolina Central University with two degrees, one uh, a Bachelor of History and a Master of History, and then to Howard University to get my PhD. Uh, in history, African-American history and African history. With regard to my career, I was teacher of history for more than 18 years, uh, primarily at North Carolina uh, Central. And then I was bitten by the administrative bug and was asked to join the faculty and uh, demonstration at uh, Savannah State, uh, then college, now university, where I was uh, the vice president for academic affairs. And from there, I went to the University of uh, Chicago, a, my first time in a predominantly white, big university setting of 40,000 students. And from there, I, I was dedicated to African-American the uh, HBCUs. I went back uh, to uh, Benedict Colleges in Columbia, South Carolina. Ray, you should remember all of that. Oh, and, I do. Uh, <laughs> I do. I remember it all, yes. Well, you um, said Chicago, but you meant Cincinnati, University of Cincinnati. Uni- University of Cincinnati, yeah. University of Cincinnati. And from there, I went to to, uh, to take over the uh, presidency at Savannah State at, at University in Frankfurt. Uh, I mean, I mean, Kentucky State University in Frankfurt, Kentucky, and uh, stayed there uh, four years. And from there, I joined uh, the administrative staff at the at the, uh, the Illinois State Higher Educational uh, Commission, uh, which is IBHE. Illinois uh, Education Association as its executive director and and so on and so forth. You get the gist. <laughs> yeah, so a lot of your career and um, your service in this world has been dedicated to HBCUs, has right. been dedicated to African-American um, studies and just the advancement of African-Americans altogether, right? Would you say that? Yeah, I, I've been dedicated to the African-American history and institutions all of my life. In fact, mother and father went to them and all my sisters went to them and you went to Howard and so did, and and I have been involved with HBCU for more than 50 years. You know, it's so funny. This is a little caveat question. Well, caveat statement that I want to make, but as a kid, I didn't really understand why you were so adamant about, you know, me attending, wanting me to attend the HBCU. It was like, literally you all, like I grew up, like, it was almost like I didn't have a choice. I remember like as a kid, it's like, oh no, you're going to go to HBCU. And I, and I really didn't understand it. But the more that number one, I'm so, so grateful that I went to Howard. 
right. was one of the best decisions I could have ever right. made. Right. You helped me make that monumental right. decision very much so. So it was first a battle between you wanted to go to another HBCU, but I wanted to go to Howard because my experience at Howard was so wonderful. And I, I thought that you would be great at Howard too. Yeah. Uh, now, so, and, and, and you got there in sorority, uh, uh, cheerleader. I mean, there's so many opportunities for you. Plus, you got one of the best higher educations that you could get in uh, business and, and that kind of thing, which led you to open your own business, of course. And that was yeah. what I, I had wanted for you. I wanted you to be an independent, uh, well-spoken, well-educated African-American woman, independent. Oh, I love this. So, but now it's like as a, as a grown woman and, you know, just kind of, um, more evolved in my mind and understanding who you are, who my parents were, it makes so much sense as to why you all put your foot down so hard on the HBCU conversation or the HBCU decision, you know? So I definitely have you to thank. It's it was funny journey, you all, because truly I wanted to go to some other HBCUs. And my dad here, Dr. Reed, he shut that down. <laughs> he shut that down so, so smooth. But I, I'm just so grateful for all, yeah. all my time at Howard. So it made sense. Well, I, I realized that once you uh were a member of the cheerleading team, that was it. You 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 would love it from that point forward. And you did. Yeah, I did. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I did, I did, I did. So today's episode, and by I the really, way, you know, I went to all of your games. You remember that? You did. <laughs> you went to all my games. You came to the chapel on Sunday yeah. for church, and right. yeah, 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 you've always been, always been connected, Daddy. We've always hey, been connected. You and I have that in common. Yes, we do. We do. Mm-hmm. So. Today's episode, I really want to honor because it is Black History Month still. um, And I wanted to take some time. I've been thinking about this for a while. So I'm so glad that we actually made this happen. But I wanted to take some time and get your perspective on Black History Month, the origin of Black History Month and and all that it encompasses from your perspective. So Mm -hmm. let's start out by kind of just talking about what was the origin of Black History Month? Well, there were essentially two African-American men. The first PhD graduate in history from Harvard University and the second PhD graduate in history from Harvard University were joined at the hip by their graduate study and by the fact that they were Black men. And they had similar experiences. One was born in Great Barrington, Massachusetts. He was W.E.B. Du Bois. And the other uh, was born in in what in the back hills, in the coal mining hills of West Virginia, and that was Carter E. Woodson. They were not together for about a decade, and then after which uh, they uh, reunited or near the faculty of Howard University for Dr. Carter G. Woodson served for several decades. And when he was writing, because once you finish your doctorate at any institution, you are sort of compelled. Uh, to write, to write about what you, your history, the history that you want to people to see. And they were writers and they wanted places to present their history. They went to the American Historical Association, which was predominantly white, was all white at this time in the late 1890s and early 1900s. Present their papers at the, uh, the uh, board at uh, the AHA, American Historical Association, refused to put them on the program. And they incensed these two men, Carter, G. Woodson and William Edward 
record your boards, but it calls them to go in a similar but not the same direction. Du Bois then founded that he was the only African-American at the table to do so, the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People uh, in 1909, and uh, which became the largest, uh, most, uh, most uh, successful civil rights organization in the history of Black people. And he also produced there the Crisis uh, magazine and is it possible for me to take this or should I? No, don't. No, the Crisis Magazine. And when he was at uh, uh, at Atlanta University, which he taught before he uh, journeyed to D.C., uh, he started the Phylon. So he was always interested in writing and doing his research about the African-American. Carter G. Wilson, on the other hand, was also this historian, this writer, researcher, and he wanted to to reveal his work, and there was no place for them. So in, in 1915, uh, Woodson uh, told, uh, uh, communicating with uh, W.B. Du Bois, let's start something so that we can do our research and, and do our present, presenting our papers. And so he started the Association for the Study of African American uh, Negro Life and History. It was called Negro, Negro Life and History at that time in 1916, 1915, 1916. So this was a place where once a year, you could invite their friends and colleagues who had written about history all over the country to come and to read their papers and to get a critique. One year earlier than that, Dr. Woodson founded Negro History uh, Week, it was called at the time, and later, uh, as you know, Negro History Month. So it was Carter, he was, who was an engine behind this whole movement, who not, did not let it die, who was persistent in starting the association and, and persistent in starting the week. Yeah, that's so cool. That's really, really interesting. And you all, as you can see, his knowledge of the origin and the history is vast, okay? And so, you know, I think one thing that I would love to just kind of talk about is the evolution over the years of from Negro History Week to Negro History Month to now what we know as Black History Month. And I think that sometimes generation to generation, it could be go missed on the fight and the struggle and the work that has been put behind Black people in general in order to ha like be celebrated, in order to have equal rights, in order to, you know, be just seen as equal people, you know, in America. And I, I just want to hear your perspective. I, I think that you've seen so much in your lifetime. And so I would love to hear your perspective on the evolution of Negro History Week to Negro History Month to now Black History Month. And, you know, just Black people in general, let's think about a younger generation, right? Think about, right. say, my generation, or even think about Luna, right? Your granddaughter right. and all that she may not know. I just want you to just give a perspective, right. a general perspective of, of the struggle and the fight and um, where right. we are as in now as it pertains to honoring our, our history. You know, one of the things that I tell every class that I've ever taught that nobody uh, knows it all about history uh, and African-American history, no one knows it all. But uh, so you know your part and, and you go deeper as the years go forward into your area of history. Uh, so I said that to, to, to get preliminary ideas. 
to my comments. In general, what happened was that over time, there have been several periods of time, 1919, the 1940s, the 1960s, the Blacks were displeased with their treatment and status in America. And they complained about it, but no one listened until the African-American leaders took their movements to the streets and invited uh, the, the masses of African-Americans to come and join them as they protested that not enough attention was being played, played uh, to uh, the African-American. So over time, like people began to, and, and this naming of, of our people is not something that new. It, it was before it was black, it was the Negro. Before it was Negro, it was colored. Before it was colored, it was the African and so on and so forth in America. So uh, in the 60s, however, it was almost shameful for you to call yourself a Negro. A Negro meant that you were somehow complicit with white people who were sort of uh, not so kind to blacks and that you, you were not really a black person, that you needed to be a black man, a black woman, rather than a Negro. So Negro, Negro was dropped. Then, by the way, my advisor, a Dr. Rayford W. Logan, who, who probably, and how we probably wrote about 15 books, uh, always criticized us as doctoral students. When we used the word uh, black, because he said black was imprecise. He said that the most precise term for the African-American would be Negro, because it, it indicated that we were in an English country and we were speaking English. But anyway, the majority of African-Americans, especially the civil rights leaders, demolished the word uh, Negro in the 60s. And from that moment forward, we have played with that term, sometimes going back to Negro, sometimes uh, catapulting to the top, the term uh, Black. So today, in today's uh, terminology, I think most African-Americans use the term African-American. To me, we are, are definitely American, but we are as as definite African-Americans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so now that we're, you know, celebrating another month of Black History Month, um, I would love to hear from your perspective on what you believe like the next steps are for us African-Americans, for us Negro people, for us Black people, um, as it relates to honoring our history and honoring all of those that have put in so much work and have helped us get to to where we are now. What's that? Okay. Am I disturbing you? Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I think the next, the next step is for more people to get back to the study of the African-Americans. See, I think we've lost a lot of time not reading about our past, not studying about it, not knowing about it. That we, every, for every period of time, we sort of slide back and we slide forward, we slide back. But we never made, make a complete march forward such that the majority of African-Americans know what happened to them. If you don't know what happened to you in your past, you're bound to repeat it. What yeah. happened to us, of course, was the most evil period in the history of the United States or the world. It was an evil form of, and no form of slavery is kind. But this one was ab absolutely evil, where the slave owner attempted to make the African-American less than human, make him a lower animal, and use him at no, at no uh, compensation to the, the Black person himself as a worker to help him build America. I, I often say in my classes, had it not been for the African-American, this America would not be because the people who built the buildings 
who who created the factories and the towns and the churches and uh, the the municipal areas of of, of towns and cities where African Americans were even from Africa. They knew how to do all. They knew there were farmers in Africa. There were farmers when they got here as slaves. There were brick masons in Africa. There were brick masons as got here and and stone masons, which is a even more technical uh, skill. But so the African American was by the white man's standards, absolutely suited for slavery because he knew how to do all of these things. That no one had to teach him these things. But the, the Indian, uh, who, who he tried to use the Indian, but the Indian was too swift. He knew the countryside better than anybody and uh, better than the white man was trying to enslave him. And he could uh, escape into the wilderness and or into his towns and sit and could not be seen again. And he also... Uh, it is this white slave owner attempted to use his own people, and that did not work because he was white. And being white, you know, you know if you go to another town, you're still white, and you you're free. So, right. the, the, uh, he settled on black persons, black men first, because their backs were so strong, black men and women, because they were brainy. And uh, when he went over to Africa to ambush and seize them into slavery. He absolutely selected, not to say that there are not some brilliant blacks still in Africa, but he absolutely selected the best that he could find to put in slavery, the strongest, the wisest, and so on and so forth, to bring over to America to be slaves. So the thing I would say to everybody who listens to this program, the best book to read is a book by uh, Dr. John Hope, like Hope Franklin, entitled From Slavery to Freedom. It, it's about a thousand pages, but take your time, you know, pick out 10, 15 pages a piece and so on and so forth. And especially pay close attention to the the latter 150, 200 pages in the back, which is a bibliography of other books and articles that you can read about Black history. But once you know Black history, no one can tell you anything that's different from what the truth is all about and what the truth was awful, but to not know it, is to repeat it. Mm, that's good. That's good. So we'll definitely link the book you all um, from by Dr. John Hope Franklin from Slavery to Freedom. We'll link that below. And are there any like um, kind of closing remarks that you would like to share? I, I want to say this, that the audience of the Ray Whitney podcast, first of all, the podcast is super new, but yeah, we have a we're going to make waves in this world. Yeah. I know uh, that for sure. I think you're um, right. Yeah, you've always you've always made waves, my daughter. You've always made waves. <laughs> oh, thank you, Daddy. Thank you. The audience is entrepreneurs, um, okay. creative entrepreneurs in particular, okay. and okay. I, I believe that you know in the world that we live in now, 2024 yes. and beyond, yes. um, entrepreneurship is such a yes. um, key piece to right. Just liberation to yes. Uh, yes. developing freedom, um, right. to sharing gifts and talents. Right. And so right. any last words that you want to leave to yeah. creative entrepreneurs um, yes. out there yes. that are listening? Yes. Uh, a couple of things. Uh, W.B. Du Bois wrote maybe 35, 40 books. So did Carter G. Woodson. And I want to mention two books that uh, Carter G. Woodson wrote. Uh, one was, the, it was called The Miss education of the Negro. I mean, uh, one book that Carter G. Wilson wrote and one book that Du Bois wrote. And Du Bois wrote a book entitled A Philadelphia Negro. Now, in the book by uh, Woodson, the, the Miseducation of the Negro, he talked about ministers who get into the pulpit 
don't know their history and try to preach on it. And because they have such a large following, they miseducate their following every Sunday, and which is a travesty. Mm. Not only men, but not only preachers, but teachers and people on the street, best to be street philosophers, uh, street professors. Just miseducate our people. The best thing to do is to get you the from Slave Freedom book and read it, read it, read it, read it until you have it down. The other one is a book by uh, W.E.B. Du uh, Bois. And this is something that I want you to take to heart. He wrote a book entitled uh, The Philadelphia Negro. And it was really especially about Black entrepreneurs. What happened in the 1800s and 1700s uh, before slavery ended was that the fugitive, those who broke away from the plantations and headed uh, toward freedom, toward the North, a lot of them settled in Philadelphia. And in Philadelphia, they created a life unlike anything that uh, Dr. Du Bois ever saw. They were barbers. And barbering was a big uh, uh, entrepreneurial endeavor at this time. Because black people had no people, had nobody to cut their hair. And they were undertakers, and they were preachers, and they were lawyers in, in Philadelphia. He saw this. It, it amazed him uh, how much progress a people can make within a couple of generations. So here's what I want to leave with your audience. Don't become dis dis dismayed by the slowness of your success. It's out there. It'll come. But what has to happen is you have to get behind it like a locomotive engine and push it forward every day, knowing that it's going to, you have to go up some hills. That's going to be hard. But also you're going to go down into the valleys and that's going to be fast. So it'll be slow times and fast times in your entrepreneurial life. But ahead of you is success. This is what... Uh, Dr. Uh, Dubois wrote in the book, The Philadelphia Negro. Oh, I love that. That's so good. That almost, that gave me chills because, <laughs> you know, that's so true. It takes the valleys, the peaks and the pits right, um, right. of it all. Right. And so don't be dismayed. Oh, right. Daddy, that dismayed. was good. Mm -hmm. That was great. Right. Well, thank you so much for being on the Ray Whitney podcast. I feel like we could do a part two, and we might have to do a part two. Um, just call me, Ray. Just call me. I'll be yeah. there. I'll do anything you tell me to do. <laughs> God. I will definitely call you for that. Right. And um, right. if anyone listens and you have any questions or just a, uh, some thoughts that you want to share and or you're interested in a part two, let me know. We'll we'll do it again because it's yes, this is Black History Month, but we honor our history at all times, all parts of the year in all ways. Mm -hmm. um, and so. Again, thank you, Daddy, Doctor okay, Reed. Welcome. You're welcome. Better known as Doctor Reed. Okay, he's <laughs> my dad. <laughs> That's right. That's but right. Um, thank you so much for being on the yeah. podcast. This thank has you been... for inviting me, Ray. Yes, uh -huh. this uh, has been such a pleasure. This has been such pleasure. a pleasure. My pleasure. All right, signing off. Until next time, you guys. I'll see you on the next episode. Bye. Bye, everybody. All right, so that's it for today. Thank you so much for tuning into the Ray Whitney Podcast. I really hope you enjoyed this episode and really gained some valuable insight. I would love it if you would take a few minutes and subscribe to the podcast, leave a review, and or share with a fellow creative that you believe that this info would be helpful for. Success as a creative is not just about talent. It's about strategy, mindset, and taking action. So keep pushing forward and keep building the dream life that you want. Thank you again for listening to the Ray Whitney podcast and I'll catch you on the next episode.